back to today's episode of Fresh New Shorts, offering you new short stories from award-winning writers. Today's story is 42 by John Blackmore. It's an extra for our podcast series, not currently found in A Physicist's Guide to Love and Other Natural Phenomena, available on Amazon. In 42, a 20-something too old to be working at McDonald's does random midnight shifts as both penance and a way to connect with the youth he lost. During these graveyard shifts, he competes in burger-making contests with his younger colleagues, hiding an uncomfortable past behind a calm, confident demeanor. 42. We are sitting on plastic mushrooms from a renovated playland. The warm August night holds the tang of vinegar out here beside the bin. Jenny leans forward, her ill-fitting uniform rising up her back to reveal a rabbit tattoo above the plunge of her buttocks. So, where else you working? Dykes? Deeks? Elvis? she asks. Jenny passes me her cool menthol. It takes a lot for me to place it in my mouth, given what I've seen. Why do you think I work somewhere else? You're good. But you work what? One shift every three or four weeks? Uh, so Deeks is DQ. Elvis is Burger King. I don't get Dykes. She retrieves her cigarette. Wendy's. I nod as if I should have known. You know, it's not all burgers and fries. You say it like you know, Jenny says. She has beautiful hair. Thick and wavy, sprung slick from an ad spread in vogue. Just the idea of cigarettes makes me sick, but I go with her to the employee smoking zone of Kids Play Shantytown because back here she releases her hair from the kitchen staff net. I have dreamt of running my hands through her black, sleek waterfall. She passes the cigarette back to me. I have been in pathology labs with split-open chests and sooty lungs barnacled with the corals of cancer. But... I take it and I inhale. Jenny is oblivious to the beauty of her hair. Instead, she plays up her off-putting hard edge. She thinks boys are drawn to unbalanced women. She is 17, maybe 18, going on what teenagers know. It's after four. She yawns as if time had suddenly struck her. Let's see if you beat Damien again. Damien is cartoonishly tall and gaunt, a Disney Ichabod in constant jittery motion. He perspires heavily. A simple blood test would likely show hyperthyroidism. Damien is usually on whenever I work my rare 11 to 7 shifts, frying and assembling burgers for students, drunks, and graveyard workers. I love this job. I love... The simplicity of discs of frozen meat. I love the warm sizzle, the press and flip, the comforting, predictable spurts of ketchup and sauce. Jenny assumes I work other burger joints because I am good, despite a seeming lack of shifts. She doesn't know that I've been trained to be precise with my hands. At 4.15, we prepare crossover to go from cooking Macs to McMuffins. This has become our competition time. Damien watches us return. 
He cracks his foot-long fingers predatorially. Bring it on, brother, he says to me. We started the competition six months ago, two masters recognizing each other's artistry. The first competitions were built around speed, cooking and assembling so many McChickens or Macs in so many minutes. We moved from speed to height, building burger towers beyond the simple three-bun stack of a Big Mac. Then we did gimmicks, cooking with one hand, cooking blindfolded, cooking with just the mouse-sized shovels you use to stir your coffee. But then we moved on from gimmicks to higher purpose. Tonight, the competition is Perfect Burger. Perfect Burger is Jenny's idea. Competitors have to build as perfectly as possible the platonic form of a Big Mac. She presented the concept to us in April, the three of us sitting out on those mushrooms near the garbage bin, smoking light weed from Damien. Over 10 billion have been served, Jenny said with a deliberate mien, smoke swirling from her mouth like a Ming dragon. But those hordes consumed our shallow burgers, shadow burgers, silhouettes from the true flame projected onto the cave burgers. She explained that for us, as burger masters, as burger bodhisattvas, we had a challenge of skill and beauty and enlightenment. We were to transcend burger making and become the burger. Following such commissioning, tonight would be our third attempt. My score of 98 is the best so far. Jenny comes between Damien and me, her hair netted again. It's one minute, 40, remember? Her belief in Latin perfection is heartening. We're at our assigned stations. Damien is smiling, bobbing, and shaking out his hands. He is sweating even more profoundly. He likes Jenny, and I don't think it's for her crazy act either. Ready, I say. I almost tell them to count backwards from 100. When I was Jenny's age, I had finished my first year of medical school. I had already skipped four grades, collapsed high school into a condensed blur, and completed my biochemistry degree by the time I was 17. Even then, I looked 12 at convocation. I finished residency at 23, and could by then pass as old enough to drive. I still need ID to buy alcohol, or, if provoked, cigarettes. The person I see in my mirror affects my behavior too. I don't act my age. I overcompensate. I try to place myself as 42. I pose at 42 as the age when you know who you are. You have all the confidence that you're going to have, but there's still an open slit in your skin for the world and wonder to infect you. Sometimes, patients come in that way. I have one like that now. She's dying. But I have a lot of people die. As an oncologist, I stand in front of the cancer door, which is a difficult door to keep shut. She has no hair, of course. I would have thought I wouldn't see that anymore, that moving through the cancer world of the bald would be my second nature. 
She normally has deeply tanned skin. Her family is Lebanese. Worse than others I've seen, the IV drugs we give her have caused black bruises that trace upper veins and upper arms. Her mother brings fataya, hummus, kibbi, baklava to the hospital every day. On my rounds, I see the small, carefully wrapped foil packets. She was the one who taught me the names of her foods. She has metastatic lung cancer, though we can't find any tumors in her lungs. I learned early on that cancer is an unlawful disease. It follows its own secret codes. Like a poor playmate, it makes up the rules of every game you play and then changes them midstream. I don't rage against this as a person my temporal age should. I accept the wisdom, the fortitudeness of it, the awful grace that cancer offers drop by drop. Her transported cancers are now in her liver, her pancreas, and her bones. It's times like this, when I've been infected by a patient, that I think we approach cancer all wrong with our rational lens. Cancer throws its own dice. It is more Alice than Einstein. Each day I check in and together with the staff and her family, we watch her diminishment. To stem the tide, I poison her with as much as she can take. Primum non nocere. I adjust drug dosages and treat symptoms. I talk to her about basketball and Pink Panther movies. I learned that was her sport, and Clouseau made her laugh. I know I'm not her friend. I have sadder cases and more dire cases, but she has worked her way into my 42-aged flesh. I sit in her room for long periods, despite the demands of care I must meet during night shifts. I watch her sleep. When she sleeps, her right arm stutters like she's dribbling a ball. She's just 16. Her birthday is in November, so she will never be 17. Her name is Fatima. Sometimes I feel we dream the same dreams. Perfect Burger, as Jenny's invention, has Jenny's rules. It has four categories for 100 points. First category is match. How closely the burger resembles the Big Mac in the franchise magazine. Second category is elements. The perfection of the constituent parts. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Third is balance. How each element relates to the others visually and in your mouth. Fourth is taste. Something beyond balance. The Big Mac must dance on your tongue. I'd been planning my elements all shift long. Pickles, lettuce, and onions are standard, most pass muster. A thick pickle throws off taste, but if it's too thin, it costs you crunch. I'd pick the ones I wanted and put them in the back of the fridge to stay cold and crisp. The lettuce rule is the fresher the better. A mix of green from outer leaves and white from inside to balance color and texture. The processed cheese slice makes or breaks the mac. 
A limp slice dampens the sandwich. A cold slice holds it square and melts into the burger while maintaining four sharp visible corners. Buns are highly variable. Some are flat or bulging, some with flower patches marring the surface, and some sparsely seeded. Damien and I had picked out perfect buns ahead. Pray paratus. Ready, aim, fry, Jenny calls. 100 seconds. Clocks ticking, noise, splatter. These are my natural world. Damien is fast but jerky. He pulls his three buns from the toaster and pauses before squirting the sauce on the heel and middle. His spigot is a bit too close. It may mar the spread. Two inches above the bread, I dollop sauce on toasted buns. I spiral onion flakes around the middle bun. Pickles next, dating, not mating. I ray the lettuce rather than dump it. I have to wait for the meat, pressing the patties with the flipper confidently but not excessively. I lay them on and shift the middle bun to heel and close the mac carefully but firmly. Time, Jenny calls. We step back theatrically from our work, our hands in the air in surrender. I look over. Damien has a great-looking burger. I nod at him and his opus. He turns to mine and evaluates it. He applauds. The applause catches on and becomes a feeling. The two juniors on with our shift are clapping over by the shake machines. In the middle of the night, in the fluorescence of this 24-hour McDonald's nestled between a Walmart and a Lowe's, the startling realization that Damien and I may have created something perfect. A car horn blows. A tinfoil voice orders Big Mac double cheese, fries, and Coke. One of the juniors looks at our burgers. Jenny's Medusa glare tells him they're not for sale. She walks a semicircle around Damien's burger. She consults the magazine. Match... Hmm. 25. She leans in to inspect the bun, the evidence of lettuce, cheese, onion, the pale creamsicle sauce. She fans the scent of burger towards her. She lifts the crown to check the first patty. Elements, 25. Excellent pickle. She pauses, re-examining. And 12.5 for visual balance. She picks the sandwich up, though it seems sacrilegious to consume it. She hesitates and then bites in, a large mouthful. She chews thoughtfully. She closes her eyes and tilts her head, as if remembering something she had forgotten from childhood. We wait as she swallows, but she doesn't open her eyes immediately. I have to give it the other 12.5 for balance, and... Jenny looks over at me. Taste. My God, the bastards are good. Twenty-five. Damien whips his apron on the counter. A junior runs in from serving a late-night binger. What did I miss? The perfect burger, Damien says. The kid is wide-eyed. Damien might as well have said, Watson, come here. The kid pauses and points. What about his? 
Everyone looks at my Big Mac. It is an exact replica. It seems sprung from the pictures on the side of trucks. Jenny approaches it. Don't, I say. What do you mean? Jenny asks. I resign. You can't resign, Damien says. This isn't like chess or gears of war. This is perfect burger. Don't ruin the moment. We've never had a perfect burger. We look from Damien's burger to mine. This is a special moment. Let's hold it, I say. Hold it, the junior says. He's excited and young and pimply, and I wonder why he's working in the middle of the night. If you really want to hold it, I know how, Damien says. Out back by the bin, we sit around on the fading plastic toadstools, and Damien offers us all a joint. He holds it like the wreaths of Olympia. It's the first time for the juniors. I thought everyone smoked weed now. It's what the journals say. Jenny puts her arms around my neck and sways from me, and I imagine what it would have been like to dance with her in a school gymnasium. She opens her eyes, and her arms fall from me. She walks over to Damien and does the same with him. Back inside, we eat a box of dehydrated onions and drink Higgins and Burke coffee mixed with vanilla shakes. Bleary, we finish at seven. Jenny walks to the bus stop. I am walking to the lot behind Walmart where I hide my car. What did you do with your burger? She calls out. I kept it. It was 100 points, guaranteed. I know. She puts her hands in her jeans and looks up the four-lane road. I have a sudden childish thought of spinning round to pick her up in my Audi and driving her home with the roof open, the wind tossing her hair. So, you going home to sleep? Or do you have another burger gig? She asks. Just a shower. I have to work at ten. It's not all I know, I know. You could... She pauses. You could have coffee at my place, she says. I leave my car and take the bus with her. We talk about movies, crammed into seats with people clamoring their way to work. My mother's out till noon, she tells me. Jenny and her mother live in a townhouse with a maple tree in front, hung with a dozen bird feeders. A cat sleeps in the tree branches. Jenny brews coffee as I wander the main floor. In photos, her mother has cropped hair like a soldier. I have to be at work by ten, I say. She cradles a mug with her golden arches yellow nails. We are alone in her house, a wicker basket of spotted bananas between us. I don't have time to get to my place for a shower. You have an extra towel, I say. Her face flushes. Sure. You could, I say. Yeah? Her voice cracks in her throat, but she remusters her swagger. It's been a thought agitating under the surface, and it boils up to the top. I want to lather her hair, and I know I have the code to unlock it. You could... Have a shower with me, I say.
The backs of her hands are pale and mottled with capillaries. I know such anxious hands. Come with me, I say. We run the water to warm it, wading together in white towels, her arms crossed tightly over her chest for decorum, though we'll soon be sharing the same small stall. I tell her aimless stories that distract her. I pick a shampoo that smells like cherries. I lather her hair and wash it and rinse it, and her hair has the most wonderful texture and thickness. With the suds and water, it's like you're working with clay. Afterwards, Jenny stands boldly naked besides the weeping bathroom window. Her pale skin is apple red from the hot water. She holds a cigarette. Her rapturous hair robed in a white terry cloth turban. She points a hairdryer to blow smoke out of her house. So why didn't we do it, she asks. There's more to life than doing it. You say it like you know. I nodded. But in truth, I didn't. Elaine, one of my favorite nurses, a large woman with four delinquent sons, pulls me over as I come off the elevator for ten. We were trying to reach you. On burger nights, I leave my hospital phone in the car. The Audi is still parked by Walmart. Fatima went into a rest at 4.20. She's stable now. The pang shoots across my face, but I know how to keep my mask intact. The family is waiting for you, Elaine says. Is she up on cardiac? No, they brought her back to her room. It seemed... Elaine waves her hand, but doesn't know what else to say. Fatima's mother is a small woman who has been shrinking since I met her. Her eyes are dry pebbles. The father is a wooden block of a man with giant hands. He is a jeweler. He wears a black suit with a broad-collar white shirt. There is a triangle of foil on Fatima's bed tray. She is sleeping, and they have a mask on her for oxygen rather than the nose tubes. So the father says. Fatima's mother turns her head to look at me, her eyes lacking the tears to rotate. They accuse me in their crackled way. May I have a minute? I pull this stethoscope off my neck to indicate something medical. I'll call you back in. I walk over to the IV and the oxygen. I move the heart cart to the head of her bed. Her parents shut the door and I slump in the chair across from Fatima. Perhaps I'm losing my grasp on 42. A chill comes over me. I don't know what's after 42. The burger's in my bag. In the six hours or so since I played the kid I never was, it has deflated. I hold it up, and I take a bite and put it on Fatima's table. The meat is rubbery now. The sauce has ripened. It is no longer perfect burger. I watch Fatima sleep. She is dreaming. I can see her eyes flitting against her lids. I want to dream with her again, 
I rub my own eyes and I smell the shampoo on my fingers. I wonder how long the scent of cherry will last. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Fresh New Shorts. If you enjoyed this story, rate us five stars wherever your podcasts are available and subscribe for more. You can find the ebook, A Physicist Guide to Love, on Amazon. Come back and give us a listen again.